Come gather round people wherever you roam And admit that the waters around you have grown And accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone If your time to you is worth saving Then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone For the times they are a-changing Alright, welcome to the State of Games. I'm Dice Hate Me. I'm getting louder. And I'm Puppy Shogun. And I'm JJS1. And this is episode 99, or as we like to call it, the one about the state of things. So, welcome everybody. <laughs> Hello. So many things. So many things. Uh, state of what? <laughs> it's the state of things. And actually, a small trivia thing is that the state of games is actually named after the state of things, which is an NPR podcast for North Carolina. But anyway. <laughs> In case you missed it, last episode was our huge year in Spectacular, and it was three hours long. And so as a, uh, a courtesy to all of you and as a request from Daryl, we thought it might be nice to keep this one a little bit shorter, especially with our big 100th episode coming up. And that's where you drink. <laughs> right, that's where you drink. Exactly. Uh, and what's going to be on the 100th episode? I have no idea right now. I do. So Daryl does. Oh, you going to plan it out for me? I already have an idea. Ooh. Well, that sounds great. Got a live band, at least. Oh, yeah, we'll have a live band. Mariachi, of course. (laughs) (laughs) So, at any rate, basically I thought that tonight, if no one objects, we might just run through some longer rapid-fire topics, generally about the industry and where things seem to be headed in 2016, so hence the state of things. This is like like an audio news program. It is. It's going to be. Um, we won't. Yeah, that, w- that would be great. And then we're going to be. We're, we need to have state of games twenty four hours. <laughs> <laughs> we need to have little sound bites of like the typewriter or whatever the little headline thing. <laughs> well, Daryl does that from time to time when we have unpub news. So yeah, we'll see yeah. what happens. I've thrown it in there from from time to time. I, I keep hitting the hint that you know we need to have like permanent sound bites, and you're just like whatever. Well, we probably do, but you know what? Uh, They'll probably end up screwing them up, and I'll have to edit them out and put them in post anyway, so. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. All right, so if everybody's ready, we're going to give ourselves, I'm going to get my timer out right now, every single topic that we have, and we probably will end up breaking the rules, but we're going to basically, I'm going to put a a 10-minute time limit on it, just simply so we have a little bit longer rapid-fire discussion for this, because we have a lot of things to get through, and so we don't end up being here all night. So, does anybody have anything to declare before we move in to the meat of the podcast? I brought these Kinder eggs. That's great <laughs> news, Daryl. Thank you so much. It's an airport declaration joke. <laughs> okay. Because they're not allowed in America. And something to declare. Yeah, you brought Kinder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got it. Okay, well, that was incredibly obscure and unnecessary, but but uh, that's okay. All right, is everybody good? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Where I'm going to hit the starter, and uh, as soon as I end, a- answer this question, Gen Con lottery. Right? Sure. Since it's a tradition, and we always talk about how people bitch about it every year, Daryl, you got to do that today. How'd that go? I did last year. I didn't get to do it. Uh, I was unavailable, so uh, I had someone grab my room for me uh, with Panda. Uh, this year, I was here and available, so I was like, "I'll do it. I'll see what the the bitching and moaning and griping is all about." And, Oh my God, I was bitching and moaning and griping the whole time. Uh, <laughs> so uh, the rooms were available as of noon. And my 
uh, reservation became available at 1230. So I only had to wait 30 minutes, which was not bad at all. And as soon as I got in, every single hotel room with double beds was sold out within a two-mile radius. So the close or like double beds is in meaning two beds per the room. So I, I was like, what do I do? And so I was talking to Panda because I'm going there for Panda. And they were like, just get the king size bed. You know, Michael and Doris can get it and we'll work on a room for, for you with everyone else. I said, okay. And it ended up where we are in a hotel room, 11 miles outside of Indianapolis. I am so excited about that. Oh yeah, eleven miles. Yeah. Well, I know, and here's here's the thing: is a lot of people. I mean, there's so much discussion every year about Gen Con and and the lottery and how things get really messed up with the hotels. And some people are like, just get over it. So you have to stay outside of the you know the walking distance of the thing. And I'm like, well, it is a huge deal because actually. The first, I mean, I've been to Gen Con many years ago, but the first kind of modern Gen Con I went to, I worked uh, helping out with Game Salute, and we stayed, oh, we man, we stayed whew, on the wrong side of the tracks. It was way out there on Red Roof Inn. Every night there was the same two prostitutes hanging outside. Oh, and it, no. Oh, yeah. It was rough. It was kind of a rough, rough, rough patch. It was nice to have a room, but we had to drive in every day, and, of course, we had to coordinate, make sure everybody got breakfast, and by the time we got to Gen Con, we had to get up at, like, 5 a.m., 5.30 a.m. Yeah. to make sure that we got there in time and got a decent parking place. And then you have to pay for parking, of course. It's just a nightmare. Yeah. So, it's more expensive to stay outside of town than it is inside. Well, yeah, gen- generally, yeah. And, and But the problem is, of course, because of the state of Gen Con and how many people go to it and how much of a cluster F it is every year for everybody to try to get you know, hotel rooms – it's just uh, it's just crazy because yeah if you're able to get a hotel room in closer it's still expensive but usually you're splitting it with like eight people. I guess my thing is is I wish there was like a designated hotel for exhibitors. Yeah, there, I mean either there should be I mean, and there are some designated blocks for exhibitors and stuff, but but it's all just ra- so random. Yeah. Or just seems so random. I mean, I, I get the point of the lottery because thinking about it, there's no real way to give preferential treatment to anyone and be fair. Like, you can't give it to the people that have been to Gen Con before because then, the, then you're shutting off the new people, which means you're hurting your growing attendance. You can't give it to people that want to stay longer because people may book longer only to cancel shorter, and that heads up hurting hotels and they don't want to do it next year. There's, I see every single vantage point to it, but... It sucks. Yeah, it's I mean, rough. It so disheartening. Yeah. Thirty minutes in, and there is no double beds anymore. Yeah, I mean that's just that's nuts. And you, that was a that's a pretty early window to try to book your your room. We're lucky. Um, I mean, I guess in that uh, Dan Dan Patrice of the Geek yeah. All Stars, uh, he's been in good with the, the the Courtyard Marriott, which is where we've stayed for the past three years, and so he knows the manager there and he always calls back and we always have good service and we always give them good service. And, and so we stay for a certain length of time where they always say like, Hey, give us a call at this certain time and we'll see what we can do about a room. And every year has been really great about doing that. So we're thankful that the courtyard Mary does it. It's, it's the walking distance. It's not the closest hotel, but it's totally fine. And it's a great place to stay. It's just, you guys got that really awesome bar close to you though. Oh, what did, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's uh, the Bourbon Street. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's tradition, too. It's like all the stuff around that, it's a good good location. It still takes a little while to get to the, the convention center, but that's okay. We also have a great gaming area where there's lots of open tables, um, you know, two different floors worth of, of gaming table space, and, and it's just a really nice place to have it. And Dan, of course, was able to call earlier this week before the blocks open and get a block for a, or get our normal suite. And, of course, we have a you know a, a email chain with like 20 people on it so i know that it's going to be absolutely you know packed mm-hmm. but it's it's to have that peace of mind that you don't have to go through that lottery system i just you're so stressful every year but anyway yeah, i don't know why people whine about it it's yeah so you easy. know you just, it's so easy you just find someone that's already done it and then you like sleep on their floor <laughs> that's the tc method <laughs> <laughs> jessica are you going to do that are you going to get a gen con a mooch I'm not going to Gen Con. No? No. I, I've never been to a convention, and after last year, I mean, I got into gaming right before, like, a month or, I think a month before Gen Con, and so when Gen Con came around, I was, like, super excited and following, uh, you know, it all on Twitter, and it just looked crazy, and it scared me. <laughs> yeah, so, I, remember, I remember you talking so, about that, yeah. Yeah, it's scared. Like, there's so many people. So, I don't think I'll go to Gen Con this year. Maybe in the future, but I think I want to start smaller. So, we'll see. Well, you already said, and you were already saying, like, oh, I don't know if I'll go to PrezCon. Well, that's about as small as you can get. So I know. I just don't know if I can make it this time <laughs> around. I know, I know I'm going to Unpub in April, but... Uh, other than that, I mean, I'd like to go to PrezCon, but I have to, I have to work some things out first. So... Okay. Press conference. Well, whatever you need to do, remember, I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll be there for you. I'll be there to lend support. <laughs> That's right. So come on out. Whatever you whatever you want whatever you want to do. And I know Prescon's a little rough for you too because you were like, you were even saying, who can I get to share my room? And then like within thirty minutes of you asking that question, you're like, well, maybe I'll just have I'm the room to myself. Debating, but it's, then I remembered how expensive the room is. I'm like, crud. I need oh, to split it. So trust me, compared to everything else, man, the Prescon rooms are nothing. They're amazing. Of course, it's good to have. We're gonna have four people in our room, so it's gonna be a good. Shareable. Yeah, just pile in. Yeah. Well, I have a double room booked, so if people need rooms, you know, yeah. they need a room, then they can share with me. But, uh, I mean, I like to have my solitude, but I also don't want to spend $600, so. <laughs> yeah, that's, that can, it can get kind of rough, but, I mean, we've got. Yeah, I just yeah. give up solitude for a week. Yeah. All these conventions, pretty much. Yeah, when it comes to cons, you just have to kind of just suck it up. I mean, I, I like whenever I get like coffee in the morning, for example, like Gen Con, I'll go to the coffee place and I'll pick up like a coffee for myself and no one will be there and I'll just be lost in a sea of people. And it feels good. You're just alone in a sea of people. <laughs> alone in a sea of people. Yep. You're anonymous and it's great. You don't have anybody asking <laughs> you questions. It's awesome. <laughs> well, especially when you wear a disguise. Yep. Yeah, and I highly recommend that. It's like Comic Con. So when it comes to t- like TC, TC has to wear a disguise usually most of the time because otherwise they'll get mobbed. But if you go to the right place, <laughs> and like PressCon is, well, I know I'm not going to get mobbed. But... Hey, you don't know. You don't know yet. Nobody knows who I am. Hey, you haven't been to a con yet. You might get mobbed. You never know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is the, you're selling it now. now I'm selling, selling it. it. I'm totally selling it. That's right. Good job. There you go. You're going to get totally going to get mobbed. 
All right. Well, let's move on. We've already kind of had our regular Gen Con gripe session. Yeah, but everybody's a whiner. Everybody's let's a whiner. It's horrible. We don't know what to do about it, blah, blah, blah. But we, there's nothing we can do about it for quite a while. So um, we'll let other podcasts delve deeper into the Gen Con situations because I don't have any solutions to any of this stuff anymore. All right, so let's move on to another piece of news that was it came up pretty recently, and that is Mayfair, the makers of Settlers of Catan, or now just Catan. We've talked about in the podcast about the rebranding of Catan, and uh, now they've actually sold the North American uh, distribution licensing rights to Asmodee North America. So I'm going to reset our timeline here. And go. So my question is basically, uh, part of this is, you know, Asmodee, of course, has been acquiring everything. They're just gobbling everything as much as possible. We'll talk about in a second on Asmodee, Fantasy Flight, and Days of Wonders uh, consolidation. But for now, Asmodee North America will be able to control Mayfair. And Mayfair has, according to the news article, they're going to have a little, I don't know, like, um, what would you even call it? Uh, a little independent not necessarily independent but studio that's going to be in charge of all all things Catan. and 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 asmodee is just going to be you know kind of nudging that along but also distributing it and they get the licensing rights and the in the distribution deals and, and whatnot so my question is what does that mean for mayfair and i think that's probably the easiest question but what does that mean for the industry as a whole and of course what asmodee is doing with their their their, their model right now well, one thing that you didn't bring up is that they didn't only get Catan. Well, they did not. You're right. Catan was the big one. But no, no, no. I, no, they've got something I th- I think is bigger than Catan that gives exactly what's going to happen to Mayfair. With this, they also got the president of Mayfair. Well, okay, that's who true. Who now works yeah, for they Asmodee. The CEO. Yeah. That is true. So, yeah, the CEO now has left Mayday or Mayfair. Yeah, Mayday. Mayday. <laughs> okay, Ryan, sorry. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Um, the CEO has left Mayfair to go to Asmodee with Catan. So, if you're working for a large company and your number one product and your CEO on the same day go, nope, we're out. I, that's a cloister bell going off, just warning danger all around the place. I, I, I'd like to think I'm wrong, but that's what I'm thinking. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, is, is Mayfair, like, I mean, that's it's pretty much, pretty much, like you said, like a death knell for Mayfair. But, like, they, I mean, they're kind of, at that point, they're kind of operating under their own little side thing, which I, I don't even understand the, the basics of that part. Because that doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, it doesn't mean the end of Mayfair, probably. But like, um, D- what here- does that what does that mean for the industry in general? Like that, I, I I don't think Mayfair has made a dent in the industry for a while. They haven't. I think that I think actually, as far as like Mayfair proper, like okay, so let's talk a bit about what it means to see Mayfair at conventions. You see, like at Gen Con. There are these huge blocked off areas that are just for Mayfair game stuff, and and for the most part, it's generally Catan. Um, yeah, but that's I think that's really where we're going to see the difference now is that you're not going to see Mayfair be in these huge, you know, obviously like for Origins, like almost everywhere you walk in Origins is sponsored. Hey, Mayfair, 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 Mayfair. That's not really going to be the case anymore. They're they're kind of like. 
But with losing their flagship product and their CEO, they're probably going to just kind of retreat back and do what they did 20 years ago. And that was kind of like, you know, have all of these hobby games. Are they still doing that? Well, yeah, they have been. That's the whole point, though, is that as far as like the structure of things, there's Catan and the Catan related products. And then there's the rest of Mayfair. And now maybe that's not completely fair, but for the most part, with the, the perception of how Mayfair works, that is that is kind of the way it is. They have all these offshoot products, and especially in recent like two or three years, like Mayfair has really been showing their gray hairs uh, because they've released like these sort of weird products that seem slightly underdeveloped or like have some strange art sensibility to them. Um, I mean, we've brought up a lot of those in the podcast, and they're pretty evident. But, uh, you know, Catan's always been the one that's been the lifeblood of that particular company. What's going to be interesting to see is where May, the, the, the regular Mayfair that's left without Catan, like how they're going to restructure and, and subsist within the current market. Mm-hmm. Jessica, I know you've been quiet up through all this. I know this is a lot of insider talk, but. Yeah. What do you feel about all this? I'm, I mean, I'm I'm curious how much money uh, Catan was actually making for Mayfair. I mean, it seems like a big chunk of money has gone, is this oh, what it seems like. it's not seeming. It is a huge chunk of money. <laughs> and it was like here in, in one of the, uh, the news articles that I sent out, but it's like it's quoted from the press release, but also in uh, Eric Martin's um, Board Game Geek News. He says here, like, um, days of Wonder and Fancy of Light Games, acquisition is part of Asmodee's strategy expanding, and then it goes into a bunch of just different n- numbers about Asmodee Group and how much it's accelerated and how big it is, and to, to think about how much money and percentages of basically the industry that Asmodee has now, Catan represents, honestly, other than Days of Wonder and Fantasy Flight Games, Catan is th- the beast. Like, they own it now. Oh, they don't own it, but you know they've got that for, especially for the what they're trying to do with Asmodee North and North America. So what we're talking about internationally, there's still going to be this this branch overarching branch of different things. In Europe it's a very different animal. We're talking about Asmodee North America. Let's talk about the industry in North America. What's that mean for the rest of the industry for North American companies that all of a sudden and we're going to get to that in our next question too, like Asmodee's behemoth and how they're basically steamrolling through through everything. What what do we feel like that is what that does to that presence for North American distribution? It's gonna be a serious bottleneck, I think, in the long run. Yeah, how so? I think it's gonna end up just choking out smaller uh, uh, companies, more or less. I'm trying not to say um a lot. That's why I'm doing these weird pauses. Chris has got me like <laughs> in my head right I've now. I've got him paranoid. Probably, probably a good idea. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's. I'm thinking more about not saying um than what I'm actually trying to say. <laughs> we're 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 weaning we're weaning Daryl off of the ums. So, man, yeah, but that's okay. That's fine. It's take your time. It's all right. You're we're, doing good. We're Darryl. doing good, Daryl. We're all friends here. That's right. Use your words. Go ahead. Keep with your... You're thinking that basically it's going to create this stranglehold on some smaller companies because Asmodee owns basically so much. But but let's think about this, too. Well, it's not that they own so much. They're going to try 
to come in and set a precedence of this is how our game should be sold. This is how all games should be sold. And I think it's going to either end up hurting the, the friendly local game stores or it's going to hurt online sales. And I think it's not just for them, but I think it's going to ripple through everyone. Well, now now we're getting into the next question. So let's let's oh. put a pin in that for a second. No, that's good. It's a great point because that's part of our next you know topic. Sorry. But anybody – no, it's fine. That's great because that's something we, we need to take into consideration with what Asmodee has kind of rolled out in all this. Does anybody have anything else to add about basically you know Catan and, and Mayfair before we move on to the next point? I'm, I'm – I'm really curious to to see some like actual numbers from that. Did they did they use it in the board game geek article? I, I don't think they did because I think I no. remember reading it. No, no, no. Because I was looking at I was looking at it to try to get some like get an idea like for my own self like what this would be like, right? And so I looked it up, and they claim uh, in 2000, at least in 2014, which I don't think would be too far off of 2015. No, no, no especially in the board game industry. But go ahead. Uh, they'd sold 750,000 copies of Catan Jeez. and Catan-related pro- products, right. I guess. Um, to put that in perspective for anybody listening, Dice Hate Me Games' biggest product right now is compounded with 15,000 copies. Hoorah. So Yes. Right. So 750,000 uh, still, right? And so that's like, to me, I don't know what was spent on Catan, but it wasn't enough. That's all I can say. Like, <laughs> whatever he deal he took, he should have negotiated for more. For more, yeah. Because uh, yeah. it shouldn't have happened, right? Like, it should have happened... Yeah, I, I maybe he wanted to get out of the industry or something, or just kind of fade fade off to the side. But man, it's a huge thing, right? Like, I mean, I, it's not. It's like in the hobby industry, or in on like what we see of it. It's like I haven't played Settlers for a long time, but people pick it up all the time, and it just continues to sell. It's like a weird lifestyle game. But like, I mean, you look at that number, right? And you just see how much does that actually make? I mean, it's not a it's not like a gazillion dollars, but it's millions, right? And, um, and that's well, you have to me yeah. somewhat somewhat <clears throat> interesting in how much they would, you know, buy it for or what the game would be worth to people. Yeah, you have to look at it also in the fact that is there any store that sells board games you walk into that does not have a copy of Catan? It'd be weird. It'd be weird not to see it on the shelf. Oh, all right. So we're at the ten minute mark on this. So let's start to transition. I'm going to keep us on track. That's the beat. That's the beat. It's time to move on. But part of that, too, is that, yes, it's a huge number, and it's crazy. You're right. You probably could negotiate more of that. But but at the same time, it's like you have to also think about, well, Catan's been in you know, circulation for so many years. Yes, it's going to be that evergreen product, but it, it's probably never going to have its huge resurgence that it did. 10 years ago but still it sells people when everybody somebody says like hey well what do i play next when they get into some sort of board game people go hey have you played settlers of Catan?" and that's just the way it is it's that it's that word of mouth it's that continual having so many people it's just like honestly monopoly at this point when you talk about like the hobby oh, yeah. market Catan is the monopoly of the hobby market and it's it's mainstream and we can talk a little bit about that later, but let's let's move on into the next the next question. This is something that Daryl touched on, but this is something that was announced back in December, and it's the consolidation of Asmodee, Fantasy Flight Games, and Days of Wonder into 
Asmodee North America, and it's putting Christian Peterson as the CEO of that, and he's the founder and, and the, the, the CEO of, of Fantasy Flight Games. And so all of those titles get put into one main entity based in Fantasy Flight Games, uh, Minnesota-based uh, you know headquarters. And part of that was what Daryl was talking about with the distribution deal that is now changing. They're not changing a ton of things and as far as like Mayfair they're not changing a lot of their deals with how it's distributed with Catan but Asmodee, FFG and Days of Wonder are now tweaking how they do their distribution things, their model so basically based on the 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 news article that I sent you guys and a lot of people out there have already in the industry have already heard about this, read about it but how does how does this affect the industry? What do you think? And this, I think, Daryl, you can touch a little bit more more into what you were talking about before. Of do you think it's going to put a stranglehold on certain friendly who game stores or online retailers? More probably online retailers. But go ahead and touch mm-hmm. on that. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, what what I said previously. <laughs> <laughs> but you can exp- I, go ahead. I, I think it's going to end up just causing a ripple effect across the industry because. I mean, everyone's like, well, Asmodee, they're different. They're going to be a separate entity, and it's not going to affect any other publishers. And that's not necessarily true because they are a massive, massive entity within the industry now. They they pretty much have, I believe, all the big wigs. I can't think of anyone that they haven't absorbed yeah, I mean, as far as like that tier, Days of Wonder, Fantasy Flight Games, Asmodee, and now Catan with Mayfair. I guess Z-Man would be the only big one that I could think that. Yeah, and they, they've, you know, when Phil Sophia bought them out, you know, and now, of course, they own, you know, Plaid Hat. So they're, they're starting their own sort of juggernaut, but it's not honestly going to touch. And as big as they are, they can't quite touch what everything that Asmodee has done. Right, and so Asmodee is going to restructure to i forget exactly what the wording was but they're limiting who they distribute to i've got the yeah okay go ahead i'm gonna i'm gonna read the portion of the the news news release that really speaks to what you're talking about it says and sorry if i'm reading this like verbatim but i want to make sure that we get all the points through new sales policies for specialty retailers would take effect on april 1st those policies will restrict excuse me will restrict sales by game stores to quote consumer transactions through retailers physical retail locations and at cons we'll talk about that in a second but online sales and mail order will be prohibited with exceptions granted for online retailers that quote contribute either significant scale unique service or other exceptional differenti- differentiation unquote the company said those sales will take place under separate terms of sale from the specialty retail terms now that's a lot of you know insider speak but to break that down into layman's terms we're gonna grant online sales to people that we deem are worthy i mean that's pretty much what i got out of reading that did you guys get anything else from that or am I, am I speaking out of turn? No, no, that's pretty much it. I think I think you're slightly speaking out of turn. Well, slightly, probably. I'm, it's a little more on the conspiracy theory <clears throat> side of things, but still. Yeah, I think I think when most people read that, they read it. I think it was uh, slightly worded poorly, which is surprising. Um, but basically, what they're saying is, but basically, it's not that. It's just that they, they kind of 
they're not going to price fix, but they're not going to uh, give the online retailers the the ability to discount, right? At such high levels anymore, which just means that they're going to control the 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 price at to, at which they can purchase them, right? So instead of getting like, uh, so I mean, they have the ability to do it. Um, it's probably. I, I I don't know. I, I don't necessarily think it's a good or bad thing for the industry. I, I really I mean. I mean, it's up to them if they want to sell it for a slightly higher fee to those people. Um, they have the right to do that um, because it's they're not distribution <clears throat> distribution warehouses, right? Those places. So right. um, the model's a little different. Um, so d- just for layman again, we'll break it down. Let's say that the typical wholesale purchase price for a game for distributors is 40% of marked retail value. Uh, the retail percentage, like a, a direct retailer buying either from a distributor or from a direct company, is typically at 50%. So the distributors are making 10% off of that price. Uh, that breaks it down, of course, to the actual publishers making only 40% of what they set their retail at, which they have to make sure, we've talked about this too, is how you price out your your game. So let's talk about, let's say Viva Java Dice sells at 30 bucks. So again, I'm bad at math, but 15%, $15 would be how much a retailer would be able to buy it directly from normal dis- distribution channels or from us, greater than games of dice, hate me games. Uh, the distributors would get it for like 12 something. So you have to make sure you're being fair to the market but also to your consumers. But now they can, let's say, for instance, Asmodee could say, well, you know what, uh, distributors and wholesale, you now buy at the same price that retailers, but then they raise the retailer price to maybe 60%, and now wholesale is 50%. Well, okay, so, I mean, I I look at board games, and I'm I'm also kind of confused by the market itself, right? Uh, Simply because it isn't video games, and video games, they have they've controlled the market. They say it's sixty dollars. Right. It sells for sixty dollars in the store. I, I don't understand why that doesn't happen in the board game market. Not not to be like I mean that's going to suck for everybody that's buying board games, but at the same time, I don't understand it. It like it doesn't yeah. make any sense to me that that price fixing doesn't go on already. Well, I um, and I would so I, don't, I would agree I don't with that too. Yeah, see this is a bad thing. I see that as more of like a evolution to legitimacy. Well, I would agree with that too, because that's been sort of the problem as far as not problem, so to speak, but one of the issues you have to deal with on economies of scale. That's the whole point of Asmodee, and what they can do is they're such a juggernaut with products that everybody that the market really wants to buy well now they can say especially consolidated together they can say well hey guess what you want to sell for your online store or for your via your friendly local game store your brick and mortar store you want to sell our products here's the price and like you said it's not necessarily a it's a neutral thing for the market but it's a natural pro- progression evolution the thing is though and actually I was going to I, and I, I know you guys are going to go gasp, but I was going to talk to Dan Yarrington and have a small interview. We just couldn't work it out before the podcast about that model because that was the essential concept of a lot of what Game Salute was doing. 
until recently. But they just didn't have, honestly, you know, it was so many years of trying to do that and making sure that, okay, only certain approved retailers do this, limiting online sales uh, to, to only certain online retailers. It was a, in my opinion, a good concept, but GameSuit just didn't have the long-term, clout. the clout, the, the muscle. And now Asmodee does, and that's what they're doing. Yeah, and I, but I don't think they're doing it to the extent that that what i'm saying either no i don't think so Um, either i don't think so either which which is you know debatably good or bad Uh, for a lot of for the consumer it's bad right like but but for um for the longevity of the the board game industry it's good so i don't know it it, is back and forth for me as to as to what they should do but like at the same time i I don't necessarily like as much as i out and i've gone on this like i really liked asmodee and I still do like Asmodee. I think they're like an awesome company. And because of that, I have so little like reservations about them buying up companies. And I know it's bad because they're just like they could do a lot of weird things to the market. But I just, you know, I just I remember like picking up Snowtails and like really liking it and Asmodee just first getting into North America and stuff and I just loved all their stuff. Um so it's kind of sad that like there's like kind of a turning point, right? You turn into a juggernaut and then people just start hating you. Well, and that, that that's going to actually roll into our next question in a second. Um, sort of the backlash of the big thing. It's the same thing. If you, if you ask me, in my opinion, it's the same thing about Disney acquiring like Marvel and star Wars. Like, you know, Disney is Disney. They're huge. And, but, but at the same time, they have that, that amount of capital and influence and so far, they've been pretty good of like, okay, we own these things. We're going to have some hands-on, but at the same time, we we understand and we just want quality products. And so far, I mean, feel what you want to about Disney. I think they've done a good job of managing those ancillary products and letting, like, let's say Marvel Studios do what they want to do and and letting, uh, you know, the Lucasfilm and the Star Wars universe kind of go, go their way. They just, they've done nothing but kind of do production-wise or, or uh you know, producing and saying like, we want these products out there. Let's keep pushing it. And we have the money and the marketing power and the clout. As long as we're doing the, you know, quality products that people want, it's fine. But again, that's a little bit of different animals, apples and oranges, because it's, you know, the entertainment and, and movie industry versus, you know, say board games and things. But, but Hey, it's Disney and we all hate Disney. <laughs> we don't all hate Disney. <laughs> Jessica, you want to chime in about that? <laughs> I love Disney. I mean, I don't love love Disney, but I love Disney. Yeah, and I, 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 but that's the thing. I, like, I think I feel like um, if Asmodee can have a, a nice Disney style relationship with everybody. I mean, there's some bad things about Disney for sure, um, and but there's a, there's a lot of good too. So um, if they can kind of go in that direction, I, I, I don't have as much reservations as that as I do just kind of continuing as per norm right. and continuing as per norm with the board game industry is kind of a bad thing we're growing keep growing make uh make us uh, there's make a difference between indie and regular publishers and that is a great transition point yeah because we're going to roll into our next question as a part of a transition into the next question, and I'll read the next question before I posit this, and this is going to start with you, Jessica, so get ready. 
So the next question on our list is, what does it mean to really be, quote-unquote, independent in the modern industry climate? Um, we've talked about it before on the podcast. We're, again, viewed, at least from several different people, and also the Twitter uh, feed, which I'll post on com, which is where this kind of conversation point came from, as being an indie influence. But what you know, TC was trying kind of saying was a lot of this of what Asmodee is doing is going to affect the quote unquote indie, uh, you know, uh, crop of games. Daryl said it as well. So what I want to ask you, Jessica, leading into this question is knowing that, you know, us and, you know, kind of the independent climate, are you as a consumer willing to pay more on the back end from what Asmodee is doing? If it actually, in some ways will help independent or smaller companies flourish and not have to give so much of their their uh, product or profit margin away. Can you repeat the question? <laughs> <laughs> Are you willing to pay more uh, in the market to help out smaller companies? Basically is the, the, the gist of that. Uh, if they're producing a good game, yeah, I would. Okay, that's fair. So part of that question then we roll into that is what TC was getting to. So what what is it in our current climate, and I'm going to start the, the timer again here in one second, but what's it mean to be really, quote, independent in the modern industry climate, and how does it relate to what Asmodee has been doing? And TC is probably going to be best to start this one out because, TC, you were involved in a, the Twitter comment string that kind of influenced this, and I know this is one of the things on your list you want to talk about. So I'm going to open the floor to you. Yeah, I wanted to steal it for one of these rapid fire <laughs> questions things because it was a good topic. What is indie? Uh, so for me, I know what they were talking about, and basically some of the comments that that popped up were things like indie is anybody who really does need Kickstarter in order to fund their game. Indie is someone who is like a, a one person show that they don't have anything else, and they have to pretty much do everything and put it all t- together themselves or like with help with one other person right like that's low budget passion project indie production right right and i agree with that in some cases but i also recognize that like uh indie is more for me like kind of that mentality of uh trying to do something that is more uh off kilter is isn't necessarily something that you know is going to sell a gazillion dollars it's something that you are feel passionate about you want to do for a while and maybe it just comes from an idea that's really close to you more than an idea that maybe makes sense to make a million dollars and uh i see that in like i i honestly even in big budget films and even in big budget things there are definitely some people who really merge that mentality with a big budget movie they get to the heart of what you want. I mean, I think that's why, honestly, I think that's why J.J. Abrams is seen as someone who can really do a good reboot of these things because he can kind of, he gets what the fans want and does just enough fan service, but then doesn't make it an overblown big budget film. I, I don't know how to explain it. It's like just, No, I get exactly what you're saying. J.J. JJ comes from an indie background and trying to do these passion projects uh, but he also understands what we call genre. So he understands like what what it means to. Well, I mean, it's part of geek culture too. 
He understands yeah. like what what the geeks want. And now, obviously, geek culture is mainstream. But you know, back in the day, when JJ started doing all the genre stuff, it wasn't one hundred percent totally accepted. And now he's able to transition and do the same things he did before, but on a larger scale. Yeah, and I think it's like bringing that idea of I want to do something different. I want to do something like passionate and feel good about the, the final product. Is is kind of the indie mentality. I'm going to uh, do this all grassroots and do what I need to do. Um, and so, to me, the mentality is more important than the actual thing. But I think definitely, like indie in the the current board game market is almost every board game company. But if you were to like just slice it start slicing it up i mean now we're starting to see that like as in the day is starting to take over you've got hasbro as kind of like the big giant that's off to the side with wizards of the coast right and uh they're they're just kind of overseeing things they don't really do anything in the hobby market they just kind of every now and then inject something but uh you have these larger companies like uh, z-man rio grande all those uh uh established companies and then you have a lot uh, just a sea of smaller companies and i think what a lot of people don't realize about like the board game industry is that it's just so filled with people who are one person but it looks like a lot of people and that's because they put up the the idea that they are actually a company and that there is more than one person there might even only be one you know full-time employee but they do this because it helps to envision that there is a company there, that there is some solidity there. And I, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't like the idea of just uh, of, of separating the board game industry into indie or not, because it's so hard to do. Yeah. It's a lot of, uh, a lot of gray lines. Yeah. But I just, when I look at games uh, in the indie market, uh, which is, I think is pretty much all of all board gaming. I always just go, okay, that's a mainstream idea that's being put out by an indie company right or that's not a mainstream idea so that's like kind of an independent like inspired idea coming out from like this company so um you know anytime i i was making a joke that like if it doesn't have star wars on it it's indie (laughs) in the board game industry so yeah that's where i'm coming from what do you think yeah, that was a long rant. No, that was good. That's exactly what we needed to hear, Daryl. No, I agree with what he said. Uh, <laughs> no, it's it's such a generic term, so I'm just gonna um now. <laughs> <laughs> no, even some games that are mainstream still, to me, have a sort of indie feel to them, and it's when they threw like the Star Wars IP on them. It's like, oh, yeah. Like Star Wars, Star Wars Carcassonne? That's exactly what I'm thinking. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, that, that game's dead to me now. <laughs> <laughs> it was dead to me a long time ago, but that's okay. Um, yeah. Carcassonne is still, I'll say Carcassonne is still a good game. It's just not for me. But now playing Isle of Sky, which we'll get to some of our games we've played that we want to talk about later. But Isle of Sky, I think, kind of reinvigorated the whole tile lane aspect to me that did it in a way that Carcassonne was so revolutionary back in the day when we played it but but to be honest with you what's weird and i know this is a little bit of a tangent but what's weird is like i actually i i considered buying a whole bunch of star wars carcassones when i was in essen because i was like people are gonna want that and actually 
even looking at the gameplay on the box, I was like, you know what? I, I kind of like to play that. But TC's right, and this is the whole point, is that there, I think what it comes down to is there's mainstream ideas and kind of the indie ideas. And we'll talk a little bit more about this and the scope of how that goes in relation to greater than games and dice hate me games, because that was the whole point of fabled nexus is, and we're still really getting in the transition phase of that fabled nexus is an, an indie company doing mainstream ideas because we know that space is going to sell. We know that, you know, uh, fantasy is going to sell and all these things that gets people really jazzed and super excited about things. But at the same time, there's still the mentality that we all have with Dice Hate Me games of we're indie, we have these quirky ideas, we have these ideas that are different than everything else in the market we want to put out. And that's the tough part is that how do you balance the two? Uh, what do you do? How do you, how are you still considered, you know, if we release, you know, like the next Pandemic Legacy, although that's still hobby, but now it's just like, boom, everybody in the world is like, yeah, Pandemic Legacy, blah, blah. Pandemic used to be a hobby game, and now it's it's really mainstream. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So pretty much if your game is in a big box retailer, a.k.a. Walmart or Target, you're you're not indie anymore. You've sold out. Well, <laughs> and let You've me ask. Actually, out. let me ask you that now. So, so Jessica, <laughs> from your perspective, is that does that hold true to you? Do you feel like and I know it's a tough, it's a tough balance with you talking about indie versus mainstream? Because again, this is more esoteric and more on the, the insider side. But if you see, you know, let, let's put it this way: we'll go inside baseball. If you saw a Sentinels of the Multiverse in Barnes and Noble. What would you think? Did you think we're still an indie company, or now we're one of the big wigs and we've got got games everywhere and money running out of our ears? I would still think you'd were indie, probably. But that's okay. Separate yourself from who you know and what you are as a consumer. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> These are the hard <laughs> questions. This is the state of games. Tell me exactly. No, it's the state of things. This is the state and, of things right now, right? Honestly, I, I'm not the answer for Jessica, but I think Barnes & Noble is kind of a different beast than Target or Walmart. That, that's yeah. why I immediately said those two. Okay, all right, all right. That's fair enough. Target, Walmart, and Toys R Us. So <clears> let's yeah, you find... You you go into Walmart and there's great Heartland Hauling sitting on the cut sitting on the couch. oh that would be amazing. So yeah. what do you uh, do you are you like oh I know this game this must be they must be making a gazillion dollars probably I think it, because you don't typically you know peruse that aisle unless you're really into games and looking for games or I mean it's right by the toy section usually so sometimes you just come across it and then you see Uno everybody knows Uno and you see Monopoly and all that stuff and so if you saw all these other games right next to it you would probably assume that they are companies that make a ton of money just like these other companies do which you know make a ton of money so probably wouldn't assume it's indie okay and that's yep. that's a great answer because that's I I agree even though you know perception is is key on this if you finally go into that and break into that that doesn't necessarily mean that the company is not still an, as an um, considered what we would consider an independent you think they're one of the hasbros of the world right and that's the weird thing too is like you can go into walmart or target and sometimes you'll see you'll see like you know pandemic from z-man you'll see uh, um, a couple of things you'll see Catan from mayfair uh, obviously those are not what I'd say indies, but they're not full on Hasbro that sells Battleship and Monopoly everywhere. 
but they got those transition titles and now we've got some of the ones that are breaking into it that aren't necessarily 100% mainstream and not 100% indie so you've got maybe there's a new term I don't even know there's this weird gray area where you're neither does that make sense I mean, is there? Don't want, no, the problem is the problem is there is, and you don't want to ever be in that gray area. Right, exactly. You want to be either mainstream or you want to be indie because if you're in that, you're right. If you're in that gray area, then all of a sudden there's this perception, there's this uh, confusion of perception from the hobby market. Now, not necessarily from the mainstream market because, like you said, and like Jessica said, if you walk into a like a big box store and you see one of these gray area games in there, you're just all automatically going to perceived like oh well they must be big like these other companies um but from the hobby perspective which is not necessarily where everything all the bread and butter lives but the people who judge you day in and day out on board game geek and are really passionate about it they view you in that gray area and don't know where to categorize you yeah i'll I'll give you a perfect example too before we move on um north star games they had wits and oh. wagers and Target for like ever, and I even I think it even was in Walmart at one point. I, yeah. I, I could be wrong. No, no, it's still it's at Target. Target. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they did a Kickstarter for Evolution. I'm like, why should I ever give you money? <laughs> like, you're a huge company. You're in Target, right? I, and I know, I, I honestly, I know that's like that's not true, but the perception is even for me there, right? Like, I wits and wagers is there. Say anything I've seen on the shelves in Target. Like, yep. Why are you asking me for any money? Like you obviously well, have sold ten thousand copies because you're in there. Well, not only that, you got evolution, but they also kickstarted the Wits and Wagers Geek Edition, and that failed, oh, yeah. right? I guess so, but it, it probably should have. Because why would anyone want to give them money? Like, I, <laughs> well, well, that's what. No, that's my whole point. No, that's my right. whole point. You're saying you're like, well, well, you see that perspective, I mean, perception of like, yeah, Wits and Wagers has been around for a few years. It's sold in so many of these big box stores, and then they come to Kickstarter and start to say like, oh, we need money to make evolution but 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 the thing is is like from our perspective the hobby market we're like well evolution is such a weird departure from what they normally do okay yeah. maybe but then they do wits and wagers geek edition and you're just like oh that's just pandering yeah i mean I, there's definitely i mean honestly it's definitely not fair to put them in the mainstream category but it's also totally fair because they're in the mainstream market so it's it's weird like but like you said they north star to me is right there in that gray area right there is, I I don't see them getting bought by Asmodee. I haven't heard any announcements or anything, but like <laughs> it seems like they'd be on the docket for something like that because of all these things. Because they they live in the gray area. They're kind of trying to say that they're the geeky version of like they're the hobby version of like mainstream games, right? And that's really a, a bad area to be in. Like as far as a company, if you're, I mean, not a bad area for sale selling games, right? Because they already have the the target. But like if if you are trying to sell to the hobby market, it can be a little bit confusing. Yeah, and I and that's I think that's kind of where we're coming from too. Is that it can be very confusing, and that's where it, it that's I think that's part of like where this Twitter conversation came from. Like, what do you consider indie anymore? Where are the gray lines? Uh, where do we draw that line? And unfortunately, it starts to. As far as like the, the the key hobby market is concerned, 
it starts to affect uh, people who need crowdfunding and Kickstarters to actually make a game. Uh, And we'll get into that a little bit, a little bit later. We're going to talk at the end of this, after we get through with the rapid fire, a bit about um, Kickstarter in general. But for now, we're going to put a pin in all that. I think this has been a good discussion. And um, obviously, a lot of you out there are going to have some varying opinions on this, which is good, because we want to continue this this conversation outside of the podcast. So tweet us. Uh, join the guild on BGG 1903. Uh, comment on the podcast at DiceHateMe.com. Let us know your thoughts on this, because this is something that's obviously a very passionate uh, subject for, for the hobby in general. And something we've mentioned in the past, but we want to continue to talk about, obviously, this is a state of games, so we're going to do it. So whatever. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's move. Let's move a little bit more into something that maybe Jessica can talk about because she's been <laughs> she's been quiet. I know it's not. We're 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 being a little unfair to her because she's newer to the hobby, and we're talking about some really really deeply rooted hobby type uh, you know subjects. But let's move more into some games. So all of you out there, unless you've been tuning out, like we're we're talking about 2016, the state of things in 2016. But one thing we want to get into is the most anticipated releases of 2016. So this is a wide open category. And to be honest with you, there are going to be uh, there are going to be some games that are listed as coming out in 2016 that either might not make it or honestly have current funding on Kickstarter that might not make it. We don't know. But hey, this is but this is 10 minutes. What happened to the ten minutes on the last one? Well, we went, we went, we went, thir- we went about thirteen minutes on the last one. That's okay because that was a really in deep, in depth conversation. We're gonna start the, the ten minute countdown on this 2016 release, but we're gonna let Jessica go first. Thank goodness. So, how many are we gonna talk about? Just bring up whatever you think is. We'll go until we get to ten minutes. Like you bring up one, and we'll go through the list. But go ahead. What okay. do you think? Well, this is one that uh, TC mentions. I think during the Essen preview. It's probably great. And that was the seventh continent. I think it was on Kickstarter. It was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so when I was looking through the anticipated games list, this was on there. And so I thought I'd read up a little bit on it because I didn't know anything about it before. And it does sound kind of awesome. (laughs) So it's like a solo or co-op choose your own adventure exploration type of board game. And so it just sounds really cool. And um, I, I couldn't I didn't find as much information. I didn't have as much time to prep sorry that was my fault that was my fault so i only have like little (laughs) snippets about some of the games no that's okay we only only have 10 minutes so that's good that one looks cool and i will probably buy it when it comes and it did really well on kickstarter really well on kickstarter yeah um but 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 you're right it's it's basically um a choose your own adventure type of game and as far as i remember from from reading on the kickstarter page you could pretty much play it solo if you want to but you can play it like one or two players and yeah you're right you're just like every now and then you'll 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 pick out a card you'll decide which way you want to go you explore the you know kind of you're doing exploration type actions and it's got a ton of cards i mean it's just huge you know so I think that's a that's a solid solid choice, and it's one of those that's on the top of most people's anticipated list. So hey, yeah, yeah, I'll do one. I want to do one before Daryl does. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, uh, Quadropolis uh, is that how I'm supposed to say it? Quadrupoli? Poli? I do Quadropoli. I, I know. I have no idea how to pronounce it, but yeah. <laughs> no, I, I'm thinking it's Quadropolis. 
But uh, the reason I'm interested in it is because it's Days of Wonder. Not really for any other reason, but I'm always like that they come up with, um, uh, again, you know, this is a city-building type of game. And I'm really interested because it seems to be a departure from what they're normally doing, which is also a departure from what they did last time with uh, five tribes. But right. like it almost looks abstract. Right, you're building a city, and it almost has this like abstract grid feel. So I'm really curious as to see what uh, get a little bit more get to play this uh, hopefully later this year, um, because I always like Days of Wonder games. So Quadropolis is kind of the first one on my list. So I, I haven't really looked into it too too much, but I'm definitely interested in seeing what it's what it's all about. Well, I'm interested in it as well because it's kind of cool, and I hope that. Uh, it's, especially since like Days of Wonder has now kind of merged with Asmodee and things, I hope that they keep pushing their boundaries because Days of Wonder is very selective about what they release. Yeah, and I thought Five Tribes was a cool departure from some of the other things that they had done. Um, they didn't always—they're not always one hundred percent a winner, but most of their stuff is really good. Like Cargo Noir was kind of hit and miss for most people. But this one looks interesting, and as far as like as you said. Um, it's just different. It's abstract. It's a little more abstract. And, and any game that can attract me, that looks abstract, but yet I think it could be cool. I'm gonna. I, I'm excited about because I'm not an abstract player. Yeah. So for me, I'll go ahead and throw in that I'm looking forward to Islebound, and this is from Red Raven Games and Ryan Lockett. Um, uh, Ryan, I mean, he's always been very solid in, in what his games are, what his gameplay is, but. Uh, some of them I kind of hit and miss. Uh, I didn't really um, uh, the, the ancient world. I, I wasn't really enamored with ancient world, even though I love the art and the concept of it. But then above and below, really redeemed Red Raven for me. Like I loved it. Of course, I included it on my games of the year list and things like that. Um, so Islebound is kind of cool because you're kind of exploring as well. You've got some card drafting mechanics going in this. It's got obviously fantastic and gorgeous art. You know, I like nautical types of games. So you, you have a ship and a crew. You, you sail around to islands. You upgrade things that you're doing throughout the game. Um, there's a lot of different ways you can go and explore in the game. And I I really think it, it looks fun to me. And uh, a lot of the things that on my list not not by pride but a lot of things that I, I listed on my list were kind of more indie indie games and i still consider red raven as indie definitely because it's just ryan um of course yeah yeah and i'll bounce on my list because i just did a, a big blob of indie games that i'm just gonna list next time because we don't have too much time so go oh we don't we will go hey daryl are you with us now yeah sorry all right so throw one out there a uh, game i've played or interested in what 2016 most anticipated release oh i honestly have none i haven't even looked i'm dead serious oh that's why he went to sleep on the podcast <laughs> this people this is what i have to deal with on the podcast no that's no okay. no it's like i i don't even know and if i just looked at a series of titles i would i mean obviously gonna pick like new bedford right now because i'm just happy that's gonna finally be coming out Thank you. Uh, I'm glad you said that because that's on my list too, but I can't mention it. But I still. I'll say it. I discovered that damn game. I'm happy it's finally being published. I'm I am, happy to finally have it on my shelf. I am super stoked to have that back in, in print. Let me let me give you one, Daryl. Then you can even look it up on Board Game Geek Live right now. But Doctor Who: Time of the Daleks. Oh my God! Yes. Oh yes. Ah. Okay. 
Yeah, I, I, I still wish there was more information on that game. All I know is that it's expected to be at least two hours per game. Right. And that's just totally geeking me out because <laughs> the last Doctor Who card game that I was really excited about, or the last Doctor Who game, was the Doctor Who card game. And I had people hunt that down for me and pick it up, paid back, and it was designed by Martin Wallace. And I'm like, okay, that's a name. It's going to be great. It was a big turd. <laughs> it was. Uh, there was some interesting is, mechanics yeah. to it, yes. But I was so let down. It was devastating. And I just, I, I don't know. I, there's the IP. Now, obviously, there's so much you have to bring into that game to do it justice to make the fans happy. And but Gale Force, know, yeah, before Gale Force Nine does great job with IPs. Say, as yeah. soon as you let me know, because you're the one that told me about it, that Gale Force Nine signed that IP, I was flipping out because they've done a fantastic job with Firefly. I play Firefly as much as I can. I mean, my wife even loves Firefly. So if it's anything close to how Firefly plays, that depth, that size, I'm gonna love it. Yep, and um, you know, I'm glad I can remind you because that's. That's going to be amazing. That was on my list, but I thought that's definitely a Daryl 2016 anticipated release. So, what's the, what's the full name of that game? Doctor Who: Colon Time of the Daleks. So there you go. All right, so we're going to run over ten minutes on this one, obviously, but we're going to all give one more. So Jessica, ah, I know that's okay. Well, you know what? You can you can name one, but then like rattle off anything else that you got okay. on your list. That's fine. So, Star Trek Frontiers. Ooh, tell us about Star so, Trek Frontiers. this is the one that, it's a Star Trek, but based off of the Mage Knight board game. Right. So, Vlado Shavadal, and I can't remember who the other guy is doing it, but, and I have yet to play Mage Knight, um, so yeah. I don't know how it'll play, but yeah. I'm looking through my collection, and I find it a travesty that I do not own a Star Trek game yet. So, this is one I want to get this year, um, and it's, it has different... Uh, cooperative and solo scenarios and uh, you command your ship, recruit members and earn experience points and you're working to defeat hostile ships or explore and uncover different mysteries and stuff so it sounds really cool and I love Star Trek so I'm really looking forward to that. That is right up your alley. Totally. Glad glad you mentioned that because that is exciting especially based on the Mage Knight system. If if it plays shorter than Mage Knight that would be great. (laughs) Because it is a a long, it's it's a big commitment. But at the same time, I mean, Star Trek fans they're they're not they're no they're no strangers to long play times. Because even back way in the day, and this is going to be old school. I don't even know if you know this game or not. But Starfleet Commander, do you know Starfleet that game? Commander, no. Okay, that is like we're talking about like old school type of gameplay. That is old old school i mean this is this is uh taking command of all kinds of different ships and using graph paper to move your little ships around and attack people i mean this is this is like um car wars times 10 and it's still a great game i used to play it a ton during college it has not really got much of an update but it hasn't it still has a cult following but anytime you can bring uh, you know, Star Trek into like the mainstream, the way that a lot of Star Wars stuff has been done. I'm all for. Not necessarily mainstream because it's. I mean, it's going to be a big. It's going to be a big title, but it's 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 exciting. It's going to be fun. All right, TC, what do you got? 
So does that mean your your number one is Car Wars? Well, don't spoil it. <laughs> Jesus. Well, maybe you should go first. Since <laughs> All right, I'll go first then. Yes, my number one <laughs> anticipated release for 2016, thanks TC, is Car Wars. Oh, is this Car Wars like seventh edition? Well, I mean, I guess. It's Car Wars 2.0, whatever you want to call it. I mean, it's like, this is the modern adaptation of Car Wars being released. They they re-released all the base system stuff this year, which was exciting. But, I mean, of course, I own all that. And I'm a huge Car Wars fan. Everybody who's listened to the podcast knows. It's like my number one game of all time. I love Car Wars. And what I, is Car Wars? Oh. I don't know what that is. Jessica. <laughs> it's, some, it's some old game for old people. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, Car Wars is like exactly what you think it is. It's basically you jump into a car and you blow the crap out of each other, but it's amazing. I mean, I have played Car Wars in so many different iterations. We had custom things that we built. Um, Normally, you would play with like little chits that you'd punch out and you'd do on graph paper. You'd make arenas that came with graph paper. You'd make your own. It had, honestly, a fairly complex rule set, but you could limit to whatever your rule set was going to be it's an old school system but i love it and i still i i would play car wars with anybody anytime they want to but i'm excited about a a modern update that streamlines the system and they've been promising it for so many years now and every time i still see phil reed from steve jackson steve jackson games i bug the crap out of him and say where's my car wars Anytime he mentions it on Twitter, I'm like, oh, did you say Car Wars? What's going on with that? And they're doing it finally, and they were they announced that they're going to have it in popular release. And I don't think they're going to kickstart it this time like they did Ogre. They've said they're going to have it out before Black Friday of, of this year. And I am going to buy the crap out of that thing and play it so much. And I hope that it's, you know, I just hope that they have not gotten rid of the spirit of car wars but yet streamline it in such a way that it's it's easier for me to introduce to other people and and to play it with a multiple amount of people because it's going to be it's going to be a glorious christmas to me as long as they can come out with that before thanksgiving anyway so there we go car wars (laughs) all right tc you can go okay um mine that i'm really excited to try out is a game called this war of mine Ooh. Um, and, and you guys might be like, what the hell? Uh, but it is, um, uh, it's based off of a video game. Okay. It, but the thing that makes me intrigued about it is that we're pushing more and more towards this lately, like with time stories and the story games. But basically the idea is you do not open those This War of Mine box until you're ready to play, and then you just start playing. That sounds so awesome. Open, so you open the, take the shrink off, open the box, and it tells you to don't open it until you're ready to play. And then when you're ready to play, it will tell you what you need to do, and then it will just introduce the rules as you play. That's cool. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And that actually sounds like a, a video game experience. A modern, we've talked about that too, like a modern video game experience where you open the box and it has a tutorial that talk, you know, steps you through. Yeah, well, apparently it's like it just sell, tells you how to set up the game to start. Well, I mean, basically the idea is that's what it's it just tell you how to set up the game, and then you just start playing. And as you play, you learn the rules to the game. Um, 
which to me sounds like a really cool evolution for these types of things, right? It's just it's finally taking taking out that that first leap that you have to go through. The only problem is again, like the other games, you kind of lose that experience if you play it a second time. So it hopefully gives you a kind of idea what you're getting into beforehand from some reviews or something. I don't know. But we'll have to see. But I'm really excited about opening up a box and just starting to play because that's kind of in the vein of where I'm moving towards with game designs in the future here. So um, I like it. Uh, Just real quick, uh, tons of indie games, the networks, Islebound, like you said, Not Dice, Morocco, and Dark Dealings. All these like Kickstarter games that I'm I'm really into trying out. So yeah. really excited for this next year. Yeah, there, a lot of those are on my list as well. Um, is you know I mean I have a lot of indie games on my list, but yeah, there, there's these exciting. Obviously, like our group, we we love these types of games that do something a little different with things. But I love the fact that you brought that one up, this War of Mine, because I I want to see us transitioning more to that where we don't have to spend an hour going over the rules we can just kind of jump in get that tutorial experience uh dark rock ventures was on my list uh world's fair 1893 is on my list because it's a really easy to play fun game of course obviously i love the the theme of that um i'm excited to get new bedford out um to, to people that's pretty much my list jessica do you have some stragglers on your list you want to mention Yes, I had a couple. Uh, Nemo's War 2nd Edition mm-hmm. by Victory Point Games, because I love solitaire games, and I love Captain Nemo and the Nautilus. And the other one was Hope, which I mentioned during the uh, Essen preview. It just the, it's a human organization to preserve existence space-themed game with that 3D like optical illusion board, like tile board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's coming out this year. So I'm, and, and I don't know if you got a chance to look at it while you were at Essen, but I'm still really curious about that game. So. I didn't get a chance to find it. I had it on my list, but I just didn't. I didn't find it in the the booths. But what you mentioned of it when we had our Essen preview. And by the way, if you want to know more about those, and, and, I, and honestly, if you want to know more about games coming out in 2016, North America at least, go and listen to our SN Preview podcast, because there's a lot of those on there that are going to be coming out for North American release uh, that you're going to want to pay attention to. And, yeah, I think that's going to be super cool. Yeah, and it's a hidden trader game, too, so which I like. Well, so. I mean, you can't can't get better than that. That's good mechanics. Um, Daryl, anything from you? You said you didn't have anything on your list, so I'm going to say no. Yeah, no. I'm, I'm going to say, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Let's move on to our next bit of business. And this is all about TC. And I meant, I put this in as a little bit of a joke, but it's true. The GIPF project, G-I-P-F project. This is all about abstracts. So, uh, TC, the floor is yours. How excited are you about GIPF and the GIPF project games coming out and being reprinted? Adequately. You're adequately? Do you, do you own them all now? I do not yet. Uh, actually, uh, so Daryl got me punked for Christmas. Um, not punked as in like Aston Kutcher, but... No, which is surprising. Like it's the one of the one of the only ones that kind of looks like a real word. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. So punked. Uh, or punked. Punked. <laughs> um, but I now own... Every one of them except for uh, uh, Zertz and the original GIF. 
Oh, you don't own the original zip. Jips. I do not own okay. the original Jips. Uh, even Daryl thought I did, but I don't. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad to see them coming back in print. I think most of them are kind of available-ish. If you really want them, you could get them, and they're not too expensive. But they've never been like they've never been one of those things that like people are clamoring over to get. But yeah, but you have to get the original version to match those awesome expansions that someone yeah, got you. Yeah, I have to. <laughs> yeah, I have to get the original version now. So the only one that I could pick up that that uh, in the new version would be Zertz, but I don't see a reason to do that if I, then I would have the whole set. So so yeah, so I'm excited that other people get a chance to play what is. Uh, possibly the greatest set that will ever exist of somebody doing abstract games in a row. I don't think there's any other examples, and I don't think there will be. <laughs> probably so, not, no, but yeah. So it exists in its own little time period. Well, there's, one... there's the Nestor games stuff. Yeah, there there is. They, and they do a lot of games, but but at from a standpoint of just a cohesive set, right? this is 7 slash 8 I think no six six games officially seven games unofficially in the series and they're all worth owning and trying even if you don't like abstract games uh, some of them are really good especially the ones that won Spiel de Jar like uh, Yinch and Devon uh, Tamps probably should have won Spiel de Jar but that's okay what is with those names <laughs> <laughs> I have no clue but it's, it's really like somebody perfect. just like you know plop their hand on the keyboard and like okay there's a word <laughs> it really is i the reason he did it he explains why he made it that way and it was just because it didn't make a word that was you could you could have it in any language and it would still be the same thing mm, like any roman yeah. language right it wasn't actually a word so it was multicultural i guess was the idea and and the gameplay itself is completely uh you don't have to have any sort of language independence or language dependence either so yeah so i think it was kind of a statement that statement on that so more artistic weird statements but at the same time i think that's really what it was i don't know what the original like i don't know why he picked gipf for the first project and then every other project had five letters i don't know exactly why <laughs> i mean i could probably find him and ask i've read some interviews with him but I think I think it's just a really cool I, I, it's a really cool project and I'm glad it's coming back in print. That's all I can say. The covers I wish they were more exciting, but they are very <laughs> abstract and very non-exciting for people who don't know what they are. So the new covers don't really It's not like you, if you don't know what they are, the new covers aren't going to make you pick them up. That's no, and the old the old the old covers were all designed in Bryce, so <laughs> The old, the old covers look like someone worked for a few days and learned how to use Maya. No, not even Maya. Bryce. I'm telling you right now. Bryce, if people don't know, Bryce is a really, not not necessarily cheesy, but crazy 3D program that you just like plop stuff everywhere. But yeah. Yeah. Hey, well, it's fine. It, the Things were exploding off the board and then you would look at the board and there it just doesn't make any sense. So... I don't think those were great either, but I don't think the new ones are going to make you go, oh, man, amazing. However, they're simple and they're interesting. So, yeah, sweet. Jip project. I yeah, they, I mean, I it, they're, they're straightforward. They're all right. I love the logos. I do like the logos, actually. 
They are pretty. Yeah, I, I, the, the logos. I mean, even the old logos are cool. But I mean, just the fact that the you're like, what is the name of a game named Punked or whatever? Like, even I've never played any of them. Uh, I would possibly try them, but they're not always my cup of tea because they're abstract. But I mean, Jessica, you might like them. I mean, they're they're good two player games. Or the TC's just crazy about them. So I'm curious to try them. Yinch, Yinch is the key. Try out Yinch. Anyway, that's great. Hey, <laughs> before we go on, before we wrap up no, everything, please. I have, one, I have one more. Okay. One more question. Right. And this was one I brought up before the podcast, and and Daryl can get involved. Hi, Daryl. Yo. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> Unpub, is it like Highlander? Should there be only one? <laughs> because what, what I'm what I mean by this is 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 it like is it good for there to be a centralized one stop shop? for all indie game designers so they know they can go for a support system from one place or is it okay what we have with your current system which is kind of like there's unpub there's other things they kind of new ones pop up every now and then and they all have their own kind of goals that merge with each other mm-hmm. but they kind of just I, I don't know there's not like a centralized location do you think unpub should be the asmodee of the game of uh, game design. Daryl's gonna get his head chopped off. Uh, <laughs> yeah, everyone's gonna walk away from this, going, "Man, Daryl's got such an ego about Unpub." <laughs> hey, I'm the one who brought up question of. Um. Well, it, this is funny because I'm I'm currently this whole snowmageddon. I've been coding the new Unpub website, and with that, I'm rebuilding the events section and reassigning categories and renaming a few things to try to make things a little clearer. And it came to the point where it's like, wow, okay, we have the minis, we have, well, they were called the Proto-Zones, which were when Unpub showed up at a convention uh, officially, but now they're going to be called Proto-Alleys. And then we have the main, you know, Unpub assembly, more or less. And we're everyone's been asking also about those to have can we have unpub central can we have unpub west can we have you know blah 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 blah. and demand is awesome and i like demand and the entire board of unpub likes the demand the issue is that we're still small in that regard where it's just what six of us that are actively running it and talking like once a week about how everything's going and which is legitimately like double the size of any of the other ones but keep going <laughs> but it, all right my thing is is i traveled a lot last year for unpub a lot i went to a lot of conventions and it it ended up hurting me professionally uh w- working with panda or you know doing some freelance stuff because it set me so far behind and I love doing it, but this year, like I need to take a step back and 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 not do that stuff because, you know, unpub going to these places doesn't make money. It's the complete opposite. Like I have to spend money to get the hotel to travel there, and usually the places give us free booth space or free hall, and that's great. And we also get free badges for running it, but it still doesn't really add things up. And you know, I I. I have a family, 
And the coffers for Unpub are not that big, hence why we're still looking for sponsors for Unpub 6, if anyone's looking to sponsor. Hey, we'll, we'll get to that in Unpub News, okay? <laughs> hey, we'll, 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 we'll tag this on to the end of Unpub News at the end of this question. <laughs> right, right. Just but, so we don't forget. Yeah, but I like the convention appearances. I like the Unpub minis because, to me, they're practice for the big annual convention. It's getting everything dusted off, kicking off the cobwebs, and getting it ready to prepare for the annual show. And I know not everyone's making it to the annual show. Like this year, we have 120 uh, official designers. And I know we've had hundreds of designers that we've had come through the conventions or through the minis. Or hell, even this year in 2015, we had Unpub Poland. Uh, Ignacy ran it. I mean, it, it just blows my mind that everything is kind of going everywhere now. And I, I don't want to cut it down. And I don't want to say, no, one's for everything. But at the same time, it's like, yes, that's what I want to do. Uh, like, the the one big thing that people compare us to is Protospiel. And I've never, ever, ever talked to anybody from Protospiel, as in anyone that runs it. I don't know if there's a single person that runs it. I don't know if it's a single entity or if it's just like this floating. Everyone is protospiel. Yay. And if that's the case, that's awesome. But I, I kind of would like to talk to them about doing something or I, they do things completely differently than we do, though. So I don't know what. And it's not like I'm going to say, hey, um, Pub wants to buy protospiel because we'd be like, we have some crackers some lint and some games that some publishers gave us. What do you say? You know? So <laughs> I, I don't know. It's, it's a hard question. Obviously. Yes. I want Unpub to be wildly successful for Asmodee to say, Hey, we, we want to buy Unpub, but, um, <laughs> uh, you know, that's, that's never going to happen. And I'm kind of happy with where it's at. It's that borderline of chaotic and still in control. And it, it makes it fun because you wake up to emails that just kind of blow your socks off. And you're like, whoa, I did not expect this email at all. And this is awesome news. So, yeah, I, you know, and I, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. Like, basically, as the person that has been doing this for a while, it's kind of hard. Like, I think we've always been on your back about giving up your responsibilities give it to somebody else let somebody else do it don't go to the conventions let someone else go but the problem is right like you know that yeah it costs money so if someone volunteers you hope that they were already going to that convention because like you're not going to give them money to go right it's like hey i can get you a badge <laughs> yeah you get a free badge that's about it but you know <laughs> you better be already going because then you better want to do this because that's all it is and there's no like and it's all selfless right there's no there's no goal down the end for any of it which is kind of really cool about it what's really cool about unpub but uh the reason i asked the question and, and, and is because i do think that there needs to be a centralized location whether whether it's unpub and i, I think it actually should be because we've got a lot of infrastructure or at least you've set up a lot of cool stuff mm -hmm. i i i really think it would be awesome to just know that yeah i mean even if there's not just one main event it's like there isn't a main event and then there's other places and then there's other minis and there's all kinds of different levels of things but that all this support is there for a designer yeah i think having to i think 
having multiple different areas and people competing to try to be the best is kind of fun, but it doesn't really help in this case because it's all selfless, right? So, so organizations that do this for a while, somebody gets bored of doing it. So, yep. right. yes. so it goes away. So it would be nice to have something that was just keeps going and always is there and is the thing that you talk about if you're a game designer. So I don't know. I... I, I, I don't know how – I was curious how you felt about it, but I, I think from from my standpoint as a designer, I want I want to say the one word. It's like I want, it, I want Unpub to be Kleenex. <laughs> <laughs> okay. well, you, I, so, so when you said one, you meant like one prototyping entity, not like one event. I'm yeah, just, yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. Not that. like, hey, there should be one Unpub. But I, I <laughs> went off in that direction, which is actually a good answer to that part of the question, too. But well, like, no, I, 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 I would love for people, and I stuttered like crazy there for some strange reason. I would love that to be that. It's, yeah, this game's run through Unpub, and everyone knows what that is. Everyone. Like uh, Dave McKenzie with Daily Magic Games. He did uh, Swinging Jive Cat Voodoo Lounge and Valeria Card Kingdoms. And he asked me for an Unpub alumni seal. And I've had, like, hey, this game has been playtested at Unpub seals. We've had those for a couple of years, and a couple of people have reached out and said, hey, can I put something in because it's been an Unpub? And we're like, sure. But David went and put them on the back of the box and put them in the rule books. And I'm like, holy crap. Like, that now actually means something because people are going to look at that and go, what does that mean? And that that just was kind of like an eye-opening thing. I'm like, I need to figure out guidelines for this now. Like, how can you – because I don't want to just give it out to everybody. Like, I feel like it needs to have something set because now if this is going to be a thing and if Unpub's going to get their name out because of stuff like this, it's like I, I kind of want to embrace that. So I guess that does kind of go along with what you're saying, TC, that it is the one thing. Like, you don't see protospiel tested stuff anywhere. And I'm not knocking Protospiel at all because I've never been to a Protospiel event. Like I said, I haven't talked to anybody uh, that runs it. But it's just, I, I feel, I feel I'm the most active talking about the Unpub events in the community. And again, I just may not know about this other one, so now I'm starting to sound like a jerk. But it's just. Uh, no, this whole this whole question is jerk jerk like. Unpub <laughs> buy everything. Well, who else is there other than Unpub and Protospiel? What are the other ones? Metatopia. Metatopia. Boston Fig. Boston Fig, yeah. But, it, uh, I mean, there's there's a few, and uh, I mean, there may be others out there, but it's few and far between. But Boston Fig and Unpub has talked. Uh, I, I know the people with Boston Fig, and everything's cool there. You know, it's, you know whatever. Um, Metatopia, <clears throat> I want to go to. Because uh, I want to, I want to see what that's like. And uh, something happened at Pax East last year that kind of hurt me a bit. Uh, it was, a, it was a bruised ego event where Rob Davio was hanging out at the Unpub booth, and he had to go do a, a question and answer. And he's coming to Unpub Six, so I was like, "Hey, Rob, you know, if they talk about prototyping stuff, do you mind dropping a plug for Unpub?" And he's like, "I'll do you better. Come into the room, and when they bring that up." I'll call you up and you could just tell them about on pub six. Like, oh yeah, this is bad. That, that will be great. And so I'm standing in the back of the room. I had my unpub shirt on and uh, Rob's up there talking and the, he had two or three other people up there with him. 
uh, designers or publishers. And someone asked the question, when you work on a game, what, what, what process do you do? Or do you recommend any conventions that you should go to, to pitch or to play test harder? And, um, Rob started talking and the guy to his left, I have no idea who it is. I have no idea who the guy to the left was, but he was like, I, I, I'll answer this one. Metatopia. You go to Metatopia. There is nothing else out there. There's nothing better than Metatopia. You go to Metatopia, period. Next question. And I was like, what? <laughs> and, I was sitting going, and I just kind of hung my head and just walked out of the room. I'm like, what the? Yeah, we were there, and I was like, oh, that's not good. I was like, I, 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 I would never say... Like, I would never be that arrogant to say there's nothing else. There's nothing better. Uh, what? <laughs> what? You know, and, and, and here's the thing, too. It's like, I understand that, like, you know, it's like uh, I've talked to people who say Metatopia is better. And, and that's fine. It's like, have they been to Unpub as well? Yeah, yeah. People okay. who've been to Unpub and have been to Metatopia. And they'll say, oh, well, Metatopia, it's different. But I, I like it better because of this and this and this. Right. And there's people that well, do the same for protospiels too. Designers or playtesters? Uh, yeah, designers, designers. Okay. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just saying, like in general, like there are people out there that will say one is better than the other. Of course. Right? Uh, and what I, what I like is that there, if there is a centralized thing, there is room for these. There is room for all of this stuff to happen, right? That there is room for events to have a certain way of how they want to do things. That right. that all works within kind of like a mainframe of of things, but it just helps to have like it just helps to have that that centralized thing. So I, what I find funny about this whole Metatopia thing is that like yes, Metatopia has its like positives, and it would be really sweet, but like if it's the same thing but also had support year round wouldn't it be better instead of just the one thing yeah yeah wouldn't it wouldn't it be better if that event which was three days which you might say is hey this is more intensive for me and i enjoy it better if that is part of the same thing wouldn't you go oh yeah well i like that event i prefer that event within the the system but i really like the fact that i can prepare for it through the same system throughout the entire year so it's like it's one of those things it's like can you really like if you have i don't know but yeah so this whole thing is just like hypothetical but like i i really do like the idea of just one thing controlling all of those things so that you know what you're getting into right (laughs) yes Well, let me, let, we're going to wrap this up because we're yeah. like 12 minutes at right now, um, which is crazy. We're talking about Unpub for 12 minutes <laughs> rather than, but no, it's great. Uh, but, but let me put it this way. Like, I think that Metatopia has been an organization or at least an event, let's, let's say an event that has happened for a long time as sort of a pseudo convention. And only in the, I mean, not, not necessarily the Unpub has it been an event but only until honestly last year when we're in the baltimore convention center has it really become like an event like a convention where people want to show up and i think that as unpub continues to grow and like with unpub six 
Like people will start to see that. And we've, we've seen that already. Like people are like, I've got to get to Umpub. I need a table. I need a hotel room. We need to do these things. Like it's a convention that gathers a whole bunch of people together, but that's the core of Umpub for the year. But yet there are so many other of these things that happen at so many different conventions that support different things. Or like, for instance, Umpub minis, like, you know, Jessica Battlegrounds, you know, we had Umpub Mini there, which was great. So many people yeah. showing up. That though, That's really the cool part of the system of Umpub. And I think part of the core of Umpub is, again, we're going back to a, a previous question, but we're talking about indie stuff. Umpub, Umpub's indie. I'm sorry. It is. I mean, yeah. if you want to run an Umpub Mini, contact Daryl, and he'll say, "Hey, here's some material, and and go and go and do, and here's some guidelines that you can do, and and feedback sheets, and people get that. That's part of the grassroots indie system that Umpub's based around, and I think it continues. It should continue to grow uh, as that. I really think it's flourished as that. I think that um, that's where we where we stand at right now. Does it? necessarily mean that metatopia shouldn't exist or protospiel shouldn't exist no but i I think i agree with tc in that maybe we should all kind of get together and talk and have this organized system of of a database and so on and so forth should it be the umpub brand personally yes i would say (laughs) (laughs) and and again let me stress dice hate me does not own any part of umpub (laughs) I do not. No. This is Daryl's entity. This is completely independent. This is this is uh, creator and creationist owned entity. This is uh, this is the this is the system of the people. And like, yes, we should continue to have specific guidelines, but we should also let people who want to put the Umpub brand on things and let people know as the brand continues to grow and it already has. Put that all under one system. Put it on in a database where people can depend on you know submitting their uh, feedback forms and giving better feedback and, and better uh, playtesting results to gamers. I think it can only benefit the game design community. Yeah, and we're trying to uh, with the site rebuild. It's not just for the front end. The back end really needed work and. The central database was key to this, and it's because we want to keep track of how many uh, how many events did this game go to? How many events did the designer go to? What other games did they take to these events? And not only that, but then we want to keep track of playtesters. So, hey, you know, Jessica, you've given feedback for like 75 games, and the designers have, you know, rated your feedback, and so you have like a ranking of this. So, like... You're like a, a VIP playtester because they admire what you have to say. And we want to give it this big community where everyone's working together, where it's just right now it just kind of feels like, hey, look at all these designers in these games. We don't care about anything else. And we're trying to fix that. So. <laughs> I think you're ambitious, which is sweet. But, like, I think you really have a really good system already. Right. Like, just you just read some just of the emails and comments I get. Feedback, crazy. All right, all right. So anyway. we we have dominated fifteen minutes of the podcast to Umpub, which is fine because it's good. That's the reason why we we exist. Well, let's give let's give Daryl two more minutes. Umpub news, <laughs> news, real quick. Umpub news, real quick. We'll tie it into that. We'll go into our last question and get onto the rest. Okay, Umpub news. Uh, game designers that have signed up officially for a table for Umpub six, you have until 
January 31st at 11.59 p.m. to uh, get a full refund of your table if you are no longer attending. After that, I'm sorry, refunds will not be given because we'll be spending the money to get everything in preparation. Uh, speaking of which, as I said earlier, we're building a brand new website, so website invitations for badges and game information from Pub6 will start going out around mid-February using the new system. And that will ensure everything's done and printed by the end of the month to get everything ready. So it's super nice. We're not going to be rushing around like we were last year. You, no one knew that we were, but we were. And so there's that. Uh, sponsors. We're still looking for sponsors. We've got a bunch pouring in, and it's really, really exciting to see it coming in. And, but if you want to sponsor on Pub 6, we still have plenty, 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 plenty of spots available. So email sponsors at unpub.net or hit up myself or TC on Twitter. TC's the one that is kind of the boss of the sponsors, so he'll be able to answer anything as well. Yeah, uh, and I'll be short, able to say no. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of no's. Uh, uh, short, okay. Yeah, short of that, uh, everything's still gearing up for Unpub 6. We have a couple Unpub minis coming up. So uh, check unpub.net and see what's going on in your area. Well, there you go. All right, let's move on to the last section of our rapid fire. And it's literally going to, I'm going to time this for 10 minutes, but this is, again, we want to end on an upbeat note. We want to end up on uh, basically games note. So the state of things, the state of games, what have you played since last podcast that you think is notable to mention for playing? And I'm going to start this with Jessica and go. I finally played Pandemic. Oh, really? <laughs> I have played Pandemic the Cure. It's one of the first games I've bought. and uh, But my friend, one night, I just got a knock on my door, and she brought me as a super, super late birthday gift, Pandemic Legacy. and But I hadn't played the actual regular game before, so I actually did play it last weekend, I think. And uh, it's actually, it plays really similar to Pandemic the Cure, so I feel like after one play, I'm ready to go into Pandemic Legacy. But yeah, Pandemic. Well, that's a solid choice because that's kind of, it's it's weird now, like getting into the hobby, you have so many options of Pandemic. Uh, pandemic, the cure, in my opinion, for me, I'd rather play that, but, but, but having played the original Pandemic, I think was helpful to me to know the cure and especially moving into Legacy, which honestly, I'll be straight up, I have not played yet, but I want to. But I mean, it's, it's obvious that, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but the original pandemic is such a solid design, even though I'm tired of playing it. Uh, it it's uh, one of those that's really classic and deserves the the recognition and at least the widespread play that 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 it has now, right, Jessica? Yeah, I think so. And it played so much faster than I thought it would. It was super fast. Hmm. Interesting. Do you think the Cure played faster? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I would agree with that. I think that yeah. it, it really does in general. And I like the dice system of, of the cure. It just, I don't know. It just has, a, it, it has a better feel than pandemic, but it's been a progression for, for, for games in general. Mm-hmm. All right, TC, have you played anything between the last podcast and now? Um, mainly just prototypes. I've played the grizzled again and I played, uh, uh, pairs with people again, introducing pairs to another group, which, Everybody seems to like. It always goes over well. Oh yeah, well it's easy to play. And then um, yeah, grizzled. We won for a second time. The, the game's super easy, so I don't know. I understand why people have a problem with it. 
Um, <laughs> anyway, but uh, I, I will say I played uh, uh, prototypes mainly. So I did a live play of Club Zen, which is posted up there uh, on the internets. And then I also played a secret prototype from some unknown designer. Yeah. Oh, why do you guys that, mention that? That, that, I'm helping, <laughs> that I'm helping out that uh, was possibly, yeah, possibly the most complex and greatest first playtest I've ever had. So, Oh, well, good grief. Ridic- ridiculous how well it worked. And you can't yeah. mention? You can't mention it at all? No. No. No, who was it? Can't say. Oh, come on. <laughs> this is all entry stuff. This is important stuff. This is, I'm, I don't want to sway anything. So, yeah. <laughs> so, but I played a secret prototype and it went over really, really well, which was surprising. I mean, there's still things to fix, but man, just, uh, yeah, very cool. That is way too much privacy for this podcast. But anyway, <laughs> I'll find out after the podcast and then I'll tweet it to everybody. <laughs> How about you, Daryl? Uh, I uh, <laughs> I haven't played anything except for that secret prototype that TC's talking about because I was in the play guys suck. You guys. Oh suck. wait, we have. I played Dino Race. Yeah. I didn't play that. My, my computer. I know Daryl, but it just reminded me because I was down at Daryl's because my computer broke, and so I was using his computer to work on the secret prototype, and then uh, uh, and uh, yeah, so I played Dino Race, and uh, Dino Race is is a game. <laughs> it's a kid's game. We talk about this the other day. It's a kid's game. It's a kid's game. No, it's a kid's game. So yeah, I mean, you're you're escaping the lava, and I, I'm assuming that like sometimes the lava is like a lot, and sometimes it's a little. We had only a little bit of lava in our turn on our game, but you got little lava drops, and and for for not running away from the lava fast enough but it's it's pretty much just like pattern matching you just have to know okay i need to move forward to the desert i need to have a desert card and it's actually like for a kid's game it's actually pretty fun to just do that i could uh, i could see i could see a lot of kids having fun with that that's like uh what's the snake game daryl hiss yeah. hiss yeah exactly it's a kid's game but you know it's an activity more than it is really a game but. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Tiffany from the non, you know, the League of Non-Psychological Gamers had this with her kids um, board game group, and oh, she yeah. said it was really popular, like like King of Tokyo or King of uh, New York popular, to where everyone was like vying for the game once one game was done. <laughs> so. Ethan That's absolutely awesome. loves it, and and he gets the strategy behind it, and it's 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 fun. It's fun. It's probably one of my favorite games to play with him. Uh, probably second to Monza because Monza is just a blast. Oh well, that means a Haba game. So yeah, yeah Monza is going to be fantastic. Uh, for me, I really haven't played anything between the last podcast and now. The biggest game day that I had was right before our last podcast, and I mentioned that um, on the current Geek All Stars, Dan and I take a a focused look at three stronghold games. Some that have come out. Another that just came out, but the Golden Ages, uh, Port of Niagara, um, whatever that other game is. I'm sorry, I'm blanking right now, but it's in the in the oh, Among the Stars. Man. No, it's in no. the Among the Stars. Go ahead, Jessica. New Dawn? New, New Dawn. Dawn, yes, New Dawn. Thank you so much. Yeah, um, if you want to, I'm not going to go on right now and waste the time on the podcast. If you want to hear more about those games, and we talk ad infinitum about those games 
on the latest Geek All Stars. Go and listen to that podcast. Uh, they're they're all solid. I mean, honestly, myself, I prefer the Golden Age is the best of all. All of them. Tor Niagara is probably my second favorite. New Dawn had a few weird things going on with it, but want to play it again. Try some more things out. But go and listen to that podcast, and you'll hear more than you ever wanted to hear about those three games. Jessica, you got anything else? Uh, I played through the ages the advanced game. Oh, you did, and that took forever. <laughs> it was. I, I'm telling you, we started at sometime around four, I think four p.m., and then we took an hour break for me to like go take care of my dog, and then go pick up. We I picked up Chinese for us, and then we ate, and then we went back to the game. So four, probably an hour break, and we didn't start putting it away till after ten. Well, that sounds about right. But it was awesome. We had so much, and I won. So, well, yeah, that's but. even better. <laughs> but yeah, that was a lot of fun. I yeah, love that game. It's a great so, game. That, that's like we. That's the what is that? The second level up, or is that? Yeah, like the second the level. Full? And they okay. wanted to. He wants yeah. to do full game next time. So ah, yeah, I know. But we'll it's see. like <laughs> we have to set up a whole like a Twilight Imperium length kind of day. We're gonna start at like eight a.m. and have brunch ready or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about you, TC? Oh no! I mean, that's that's pretty much it. Secret, someone else's secret prototype. Secret prototype. Daryl, same thing for you. Yeah. All right, Jessica. Anything else you you've played? One more. So we I've played Small World like three times, and so this third time, after the second time, we realized we'd been playing it wrong the entire time. Every time oh, we played no. it before, to where to claim a, a territory, you, we only were using one token instead of two. And then uh, retrieving workers and uh, redistributing them was we were doing everything wrong. So we finally like paid attention to the rules really this time and played it. And it's such a different game when you're actually playing it right. And we all loved it. And I won. I had a really good night that night. I won that game too. So, uh, but yeah, that was a lot of fun. I really liked that game. Yeah, Small World's a great game. I haven't played it in quite a while, but it's one of those kind of staples that if somebody asked me to play, I'd be like, yeah, absolutely. It's just because there's so much replayability in that game. Yeah. Uh, And the Berserk Skeletons is what what helped me win the game. Nice. Did you just play with the base? Yes. Okay. And I'll be honest with you, I have like I mean, other than Underground, I have like all the regular base game expansion stuff, and I like adding those in, but the base game itself is more than enough. If anybody out there has not played Small World, wants to get it and try it out, it's another Days of Wonder uh, title that is really solid. You you have so much replayability in that game. I recommend you picking it up. All right, is everybody good? Yeah. Yeah, let's move on. Before we move on to the back side of the podcast, I just have to mention one final rapid fire topic. Josh Mills, heck of a guy or what? <laughs> he is a heck of a guy, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I'm asking. Is he a jerk or is he a heck of a guy? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Is that is that is that do we have 10 minutes? Like 10 minutes? Do you want, can I have 20 minutes? 20 minutes to talk about Josh Mills? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. Uh, I just owed him a, sh- a podcast shout out because tonight we were supposed to play Swing and Jive Cat Voodoo Lounge and I forgot that I had the podcast and I'd promised him a few days ago and so he was like, oh, it's fine. Just give me a shout out. So there you go. Josh Mills, heck of a guy. What a guy. What a guy. <laughs> All right. Let's move into the back side of the podcast. Daryl? Do me the honors.
perfect. Boom. <laughs> All right, let's roll in some Kickstarter talk. Of course, on Kickstarter right now, we are running our campaign for TC the TC Petty Third Experience, and that is for Don't Get Eaten Clubs In. We mentioned some of the uh, the play styles and at least the the the, the um, details of the game on the last podcast. Right now, we need to talk about the climate of this Kickstarter. So we had a great first day fantastic first day people come out they've been you know pledging left and right we have a lot of solid people who believe in these projects what we need to talk about is how we talked about indie stuff we cannot afford to do these types of games for for dice Amy games products yes we're a combined company now we've got greater than games we've got dice Amy games we do fable nexus stuff we we really need people's support to make sure these games are being made and we've had a lot of people chime in and say like these games look fantastic let's 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 push forward what we're really trying to tell you right now is that we need all of you out there right now who believes in Dice Amy games and TC Petty of course to come back the project but also if you're back in the project go and literally like spread the word like wildfire everywhere you can possibly think to to spread the word twitter facebook Reddit, all these different places. We can't do it. This is grassroots at its basis. Yeah, so, we put, you, you've been to, like the Dice Hate Me thing has been doing this for like years, right? With the original Viva Java campaign and Viva Java Dice <laughs> and everything. And it's really just based on the idea of spreading the word in that sort of way. In an insidious grassroots style campaign where people are talking about it and bringing it up in other places. Because I don't know. These are both. These are both. I mean, maybe don't get eaten is a little bit more palatable, but like, these are both indie style games. I've been told that they aren't sellable. So <laughs> right. Well, but I think uh, otherwise, and I want to yeah. prove. I want to prove to the world otherwise. So obviously, we're hamstrung by a few things. Um, when we talk about like the way things work for for Kickstarter projects. Going into the structure of the way we are as a combined company, the greater than games, we we, we have to, f- to to face this of within the current climate of how much it costs to make a, a, a game. Now, the, the fact that we chose to do the TC Petty Experiences two games is so we could add some variety, but also just make it such a fun project to back, focused on TC and his legendary designs, and that's the whole point. Is like. If you believe in these designs, you believe in us, you believe in TC, we need your help. And we're, we're, we're beyond the point now, especially when it comes to Kickstarter, where we can just kick back and everybody's just like, oh, I pledge and I've done my business. We appreciate that, and that's amazing. But we can't, we absolutely can't do it without you spreading the word to other places. And like TC was mentioned and I mentioned, the grassroots portion of this is very important to us, both with Viva Java and Viva Java Dice and previous Dice Hate Me Games projects. A lot of people would go out, make sure they're spreading the word to different people. People would start pouring in. That's just the way it worked. We need that now because this is an indie project. This is not us saying we have the money to produce these. We need your help to produce these games. It's the, you know, he was talking about the gray area earlier. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so the gray area is is where things are kind of being muddled at the moment, right? And so the issue is, right, like there has been other Kickstarters and there have been 
successes and everything. And and then there's been some faltering campaigns as well. And the the reason why is because like you know that that gray area exists. Like where are they with money? Where is like and as a, as a game designer. I don't have control over that, which kind of sucks. But at the same time, getting the idea that like a, a company like Greater Than Games or Dice Hate Me is too large to need the funding for Kickstarter is something we something that's a little hard to 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 deal with from a behind the scenes uh, mentality. Right, right. So, so I guess the idea is basically yes, we're still in that we're still in that boat. We still need the help, um, and it is one of those uh, just like it, just like anything else that goes on Kickstarter that uh, doesn't like succeed. I mean, it's not going to come out, you know. And and I have full like I guess this is a weird section of the podcast because I have full confidence that it's going to fund right. So I as much as as much as I really need your help, I'm like also like I have full confidence that this is going to fund because <laughs> I'm I'm used to I'm used to how these Kickstarters go. But at the same time, if none of those things are done, right? If if all of a sudden grassroots goes away and and we kind of stasis and we don't get past like we flatline until the end of the campaign, it won't. <laughs> so like so keeping the word up and making sure that these things happen that just it just needs to happen. So I'll be I'll be doing some stuff and thinking of things that I'll be doing to help this out, even though you know TC Petty the Third really doesn't care whether whether or not whether or not about <laughs> these things. But I will be doing something here, and I wanted to say it because I think it's written poorly here in the email. So I am going to say <laughs> that there is a that we are going to be having a mid campaign promotional ask me anything with tc petty the third and we'll be doing that in the actual comment sections of the kickstarter that way if you have any questions you can come out and you can engage with us and you can well you know engage with me i'll be starting it at noon on monday february 1st and we'll run it the whole day uh or at least until i get bored (laughs) and that way i won't be distracted by anything else i can fully focus on you and giving you the the best answers to all your great questions that i know you'll have for me and uh i'll you know wax very philosophical and i promise to give you exactly what you want Uh, so backers fans anything come out check out the comment section we'll be doing social media and everything all that whatever clout scores and stuff and we'll be getting the word out for it. So just uh, head to the comment section, ask me a question, and I'll answer it. It's really easy. Or Abs- I won't answer it if if I don't find it. Well, if it's acceptable. not a good, if it's not a good question, I mean, come on. Yeah, I won't answer it. Yeah, exactly. There we are. Come on. No, but this, this is going to be so fun because this is something we haven't really done with the Kickstarter campaign, but TC had the idea for it, and I think it's a great idea. Um, yeah, some people do Reddit stuff, and we might try to do a Reddit AMA as well, but but doing it in the actual Kickstarter comments during the day, and then we'll, we'll, we'll have um, a couple of updates with the Kickstarter campaigns. So even, even if you're on the fence about backing either of these projects, and it's fine, come out. You know, uh, star it or or pledge a dollar. Pledge a dollar, you'll get updates. You'll see when we'll be able to do this. We'll announce that. Then you'll be able to participate and ask TC exactly what you want to know about these games, whether it's gameplay, whether it's uh, just personal questions, whatever. 
come out and ask these, and then we'll we'll um, uh, archive those and put them in a, a future update so that people can see that, but they'll also have a chance to make sure that we're all on hand, we're all there to answer, but primarily it's, it's a TC experience. So get the full experience. Come out Monday, uh, February the 1st. At started at noon Eastern Standard Time or Eastern are we in daylight savings time now? No, save, standard. Sorry, uh, I hate I hate the fact that we have to deal with stupid daylight standard time. We're in standard time now, but anyway, you need to you need these games. Trust me. Like I was even we released the the rules and at least the gameplay. Like we have a gameplay video on the Kickstarter campaign now for Clubs in. Like I I've played this game several you times. You watched it. Oh, of course I did. I tell everybody, you know, it's like when if it's a, it, it's not abridged, you don't have to watch the whole thing. You're just looking for key parts, and there'll be indexes and whatever and everything, and the, and the so that you can go to the different parts of the video. But you watch the whole thing. Of course, I watched the whole thing because I want to see how the game played out because it's fascinating. The club's in tells a story, and it's so mm-hmm. fun to watch how people react to these storylines that happen, the emotional stress, the friends they make, the events that they go to. It's just so fun to watch, and it, like halfway through, I had, a, I had an awesome hotel room combo. I had, the, I had, the, I had picked up the pool boy and the cougar. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Exactly, and you'll see you'll see the full like spread of a story that happens in Club Zen by watching that. And, you, and like TC said, you don't have to watch the whole thing, but I did, and I'm just like immediately upon watching it. I just wanted to play the game. And that's the whole point of what I want to do with Dice Hate Me Games is I don't want to produce a game that I don't want to play. And Club Zen is one of those games that I just so want to play. Don't get it the same way, but, I mean, I, I've done that before. I mean, I was sitting beside uh, a test you did at Origins a couple of years ago, and we were playing something else while you were playing with Scott Alms and I think Matt Riddle. Yep. Yep. Matt, Matt and Ben. Matt and Ben. Okay, so you had a four-player game, and I was watching what you guys were doing through the whole game while we were playing the game beside you, and I was like, I just wanted to watch what happened because I wanted to see what the choices people made, the fun that they were having. That's that's really the experience of, of what we're trying to do with these games. I will be so sad if this is not fun. I personally cannot wait for Club Zen. And I have confidence. Yeah, and I actually... I mean, I have to be honest, I wasn't as interested in Duncan Eat It, but then I realized I have to get that game because it'll be great for my game group because we always have big groups and everyone always wants to play one game for everybody to play together. So uh, that game would be perfect. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, it's it's such a, a cool mix of those two games. If you've got a group that gets together and, and you're playing with a large, large group and you want something that's easy to play but also offers a lot of social interaction and negotiation but not overly or over overtly social interaction so yeah like jessica's saying with her group would be perfect because like you don't like things like spyfall which requires you a lot of loose-ended social interaction yes. kind of stuff right well don't get eated does it in such a good structured manner that you can play it very easily with with groups that aren't overly social and that's the beauty of, of don't get eaten plus it's cute animals i mean come on yeah <laughs> it's supposed to kill people who are timid like it's supposed to ease them into the game right like it doesn't don't get eat it doesn't put you in the resistance mode right some people just hate that that idea of like direct confrontation especially in a game where you you don't you you're worried that you might feel stupid if you say the wrong thing right um and don't get eat it gets around that by just being like hey everybody let's do this thing right and so and a lot of it's kind of secretive so you can choose to be secretive or reveal information as you want 
And so being timid is not necessarily a bad thing as long as you're willing to, you know, work with other people. Yeah, exactly. So you can be timid and win the game because you're just not you're not making yourself a target. <laughs> well, and to be honest with you, that's the way Daryl has usually won the games. Yep. And he's won every single game he's ever played at Don't Get Eated, and he does that by doing the Daryl thing. And playing me... well. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's called it's called flying under the radar. That's what... <laughs> he waits, especially when he's playing a game with me. He lets me talk the crap out of the table, and then he's just like, "Hey, what do you want to do here?" And it's like, "Yeah, that that works. That works." So <laughs> it's an equal it's an equal ground against like an uber social player like me, uh, where you can sit down and actually have a, a real competitive way to win the game without being dominated by somebody. Yep. Yeah. All right, so other things on Kickstarter really quickly. I'm going to mention Tiny Epic West. Obviously, it's good. No man, it's done super well. Uh, in my opinion, out of it all the time. needs your help. Yeah, no totally. Point. Yeah, it totally <laughs> needs your help. Uh, no, I mean, they've done a great job with this. Uh, it's another Scott Alms design. It's uh, Michael Coe and, and Gamelin Games. And it's uh, by far, by far my favorite of the Tiny Epic series. Uh, I'm super excited to back this game. I think it's going to be a ton of fun when you get it in. Again, I like the Western theme, but also you're adding poker hands into it. They've actually made some tweaks since uh, w- you know we played the the prototype. Dan and I did. We we made some suggestions, and they've got some feedback from other people. Uh, just really cool stuff going on with that campaign. Um, other than that, I'll mention Karmaka, which everybody's been losing their minds about. Um, it's again by a company that says they've done another game but i don't have experience with that game it's just more it kind of ties in that well when we talk about it on the podcast earlier before we, we started recording tc was saying like it's such an indie game because it's so pretty <laughs> and, and it's yeah. true yeah if you if you judge karmica if you're if you're backing in karmica because you think the gameplay looks interesting you're probably not backing it (laughs) (laughs) no i will say like it's cool because you have like different lives right like you play play cards and they like look gorgeous everything looks gorgeous but you play cards they have numbers and they have words on them and they're things that you like carry on to your next life which sounds pretty cool like honestly like there's a as a a, as a mechanic for the game right that sounds like a cool like mechanic but uh Aside from that, they're very tactical. Like it's a very tac- like it, it says a tactical card game, totally is right. Well, like so, if yeah. you really do like those cards with words games, like where there's a lot of interactions, drawing cards, using these cards to do things to other people, like it seems like that's this is that type of game, um, with with the mechanic that pushes you forward to the next round and possibly builds on itself. So. I don't know. That seems to appeal to a lot of people. It, it's not something that I don't. I, I think this is one of those games where I will hate it, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that doesn't mean anything to other people, right? Like that's just a. It's a it's a unique theme. I like the I like the idea of the theme, and I like that how they implemented they implemented it really nicely. Um, and I like so. the fact that it says that it's tactical because it's actually. Huh, yeah, well, that that means something to me. Like, the the fact that some people, oh, well, it's a great strategy, blah, 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 and then you play it, and it's like, no, it's all tactical. Well, at least they understand that it is a tactical card game. And I like those types of things. It's got com- it's got uh, the benefits of some combos as you build through your lives and as you, as you build build your your uh, uh, your card deck up, and I think that's kind of fun. So, And it's 
obviously beautiful so you can check that out i'm kind of blown away by how beautiful this game is (laughs) yeah i know it looks gorgeous yeah it's crazy it's absolutely crazy anybody else have any kickstarters to mention Oh, is it Tiny Epic West or Tiny Epic Western? It's Tiny Epic Western. It used to be oh. called Tiny Epic West. I'm sorry. I keep talk, calling it that because that's what I've called it forever. But, yeah, it's Tiny Epic Western. If you just put Tiny Epic into Kickstarter, you'll find it. Yeah. Uh, but, of course, we'll have links to uh, everything we mentioned on the podcast at DiceHateMe.com, along with the notes for this podcast. All right, let's move on then. If nobody else says anything else, we had our metagames contest. It ended um, last week. Right before we launched the TC Petty Experience, we got over 80 submissions, which is a ton. And we're only there can only be one, like Umpub. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to have a lot of stuff to kind of pare down. We'll have um, uh, some. We'll talk about some of the the finalists and and what we finally chose before we do our April 1st uh, metagames Kickstarter. And uh, so you can stay tuned to greaterthangames.com and dice8me.com for details. We'll also talk about more on the podcast as I get a chance to check them out. And we all get a, get a look at the, uh, the the 80 different entries we've got, which is crazy. I'm just curious how many of those entries have the like the same mechanic. Oh, yeah, I know. I'd love to. Like, I, I, yeah. I'd like I to make a list. I know what the most popular one was. Yeah, the titles, it'll be, I mean, we'll have a database and I'll actually make a list of these by the time we get done and, and talk about it so we can compare like how many different, exactly how many different titles are the same or how many different mechanics are the same. Uh, it'll be interesting. It's going to be. I'm, I'm, I'm curious if it's like, I'm curious if it's going to be drafting or worker placement. There's probably a lot of worker placement. Yes. And a lot of drafting. Uh yeah, you're right. I mean, there's going to be, I don't know, that from the ones that I at least know that people have tweeted about, there's a lot of interesting different mechanics. So there wasn't a lot of overlap by the ones that I saw people on Twitter, but it will be interesting to see how much with the actual submissions there there are that they have overlap to them. So anyway, we'll have more about, and more about that. But right now, we have a contest winner. So here we're going to do this live. This is what I announced on a previous podcast, by the way. Join Guild 1903 on Board Game Geek, and you'll have a chance to win other marvelous prizes in the future. But for right now, we're going to do a contest winner draw live on the podcast from the Guild members. So the Guild members, we have 137 members as of the the cutoff date for for the uh, Guild members for the podcast. Uh, I'm going to do a randomizer for integers. There are six different pages on Board Game Geek, and um, within that, we'll we'll try to build, draw them out. So I've got the randomizer set up. We've got generate six random integers between one and six. We get get numbers. We've got number five, and on number five, we're going to have twenty five because until you get to page six, I know this is kind of a little bit crazy, but this is the best way to do it. Twenty five. And let's go. We've got number four. Okay. So we're going to member list. We're going to go to page five. We're going to see who number four is on the page. One, two, three, four. Oh, get that. Hanbo. So, yay. yay. <laughs> Doesn't he win everything? <laughs> well, I don't know if he's won something before, but it's like, it's crazy that that popped up. Okay. So nimble one, two, three, Jack on uh, board game geek. 
Han, if you're listening, which I know you are, give me a an email. Also, of course, I'll send you a geek mail on BGG and let you know that you've won the Miniature Markets gift certificate. Everyone else who belongs to the guild will have other uh, drawings for, for this in the future. If you do not belong to the guild on Board Game Geek, go there and join now. You'll find all the information you can. You can comment on the podcast there. This is awesome. All right. So, Han, congratulations. I promise this was totally random. Uh, and uh, we'll we'll do this. I'm, I'm hoping to do this every couple of months with, with the guild members. And also, if you want to tweet uh, the state of games with the hashtag state of games every couple of months, we're, we'll start to roll that out where I'll archive all of the tweets that have hashtag state of games. And we'll do some drawings for that as well. So get out there, spread word of the podcast, join up, comment, and you can win. All right, we've already done pub news. So, anybody else have anything before we move on to the end? The end. The <laughs> end. All right. <laughs> Scene. All right. Well, that's it for the state. Of, this episode of the State of Games. Uh, we'll be back next time with more great board game discussion. As I mentioned, if you have any ideas for show topics you'd like for us to cover or new segments you'd like to hear, go to dice8me.com and comment on the podcast. Or, again, join Guild 1903 on Board Game Geek and let us know your thoughts. If you want to join the conversation about anything on this podcast, you can also use the hashtag State of Games on Twitter. We're watching for it. I'll start archiving any comments that come in with that State of Games. You can also hit me up on Twitter at DiceHateMe. What about the rest of you? You can find me on Twitter and at GetLouder as well as at the unpub and you can also find me on uh bgg at get louder i'm just get louder everywhere (laughs) (laughs) the gist of this (laughs) uh my name is tc petty the third i have an experience on kickstarter currently you should probably go on there and back it yes also I do a deep design segment on the Perfect Information podcast, which you should check out because I've done seven episodes of that over the course of their ten, and it's a lot of work and it's awesome. And I make fun and make fun of a lot of people, and I bite the hand that feeds me. So if you like that kind of thing, you'll love deep design. But it's practical advice for game designers, so hopefully it works out really nicely. And you can find me on Twitter at JJAYESS1. And I'm also on BGG at Forensic Gamer. That's my name, Forensic Gamer. Ooh, nice. Mm. All right. Well, until next time, this is Dice Amy. This is Get Louder. This is Puppy Shogun. And this is JJS1. And saying thanks for listening. And may all your rolls be sixes. And buttered. Mm-mm. <laughs> 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 With jelly. One, two, three, four. Sha la 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 la